Karin requires no introduction on this podcast. She is a frequent visitor and is always welcome. Her powerful voice brings great authority to her enlightening views and her laser-guided perspectives. She sees through the chaff and hits on points often lost to either obscurity or the passage of time. In discussing the January 6th attack on the capital, we traverse a very circuitous path. Owing to Karin's long-time membership of and affiliation to Penn, we initially considered the threats to freedom of expression and freedom of the press, the event underpinned. It should never be separated from the reign of Trump, but be forever associated with his style of leadership. To lead the people is not always to serve the people. In the face of limitless power, we have too often observed severely limited opposition, and who else remains to pick up the slack if not the well-intentioned press and whistleblowers? In an age where we are finally seeing that human rights must also be extended to non-humans, are we to allow the political right to stampede the entire charter with the cunning twisting of words and simple slogans. Karin witnessed many oppressive ideals exchanged while in the US, and those ideals were never dissolved, merely dormant. In this episode, we look at how they have manifested themselves today. Before we wear you out, Karin, let's jump into the the, the topic of uh, of the day. So, um, yeah, first of all, it's it's great to hear your voice again. Um, as I said, it's been quite a few weeks. Um, I've I've not necessarily kept a track of time, but I do believe we haven't had a session in about what five weeks now. Is that possible? The fourth of October, I think we had one, didn't we? Really. Okay. All right. Yeah. No, no, it's 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 very possible. It feels like it's been five weeks. It's been say. it's been a long time. Yes. It's definitely been a long time. Yeah. Um. And so it's 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 wonderful to to you know, to be able to uh, speak to with you back again. Together again. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's a bit like um yeah having a, a sort of duet but uh, with only one person singing. It just doesn't really work. You know. So um yeah, it's good to good to have your add your voice. To the team. I hope I have something to say. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we're, we're going to jump in today with um, a little bit of political analysis of what happened on January the sixth in uh, Washington. So the 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 attack, as it were, um, on the Capitol and. I, I thought we'd, we'd sort of jump through it with a certain number of uh, questions and just to give these questions, you know, brief in some ways, maybe in some cases a bit more detailed. But, um, you know, for a start, 
you know, for, for you, because of your association or long association with Penn, for you, this concept of freedom of the press and freedom of um, expression, um, these are particularly valuable principles within a democracy. You remember the, the Trump days as well as I do. How damaging do you think Trump's stance was with regards to certain elements of the media to this concept of freedom of the press? Uh, he had his side of the press, which uh, obeyed him to, the, to a T. Yeah. And he had the opposite kind of press who didn't listen to him. Uh, they only observed and analyzed what he was doing. Um, I think in the long run, he did no more damage than had been done in the last 20, 30 years when um, the Republicans had in certain times, at certain times, had um, gone against freedom of expression. And I remember uh, particularly uh, New York Penn. We have two huge Penn centers in America, and they're fantastic. Um, they, they went against Bush when he called for the uh, war against uh, terror, because with the Patriot Act, uh, a lot of privileges uh, had been canceled, and those were not privileges, those were uh, fundamental rights to uh, freedom of expression. And it was the Penn Centers who uh, called the government to ta task, and they even initiated a, a lawsuit against the government because of pa uh, the Patriot Act. And I thought um, that was more than I would have expected in England or in Germany. Hmm. I mean, but I mean, how? To what extent? Because I haven't heard of this this action. So, I mean, is that because of my own ignorance of these specific events, or was it, were they unsuccessful in their claim? Um, those were events that didn't make the press here. They hardly made the press uh, in the uh, English-speaking uh, media. Um, they did make uh, the rounds in America, of course, but. Um, the, the Patriot Act um, stayed on for quite a while and the Penn Centers uh, went against it over and over and over again. And we in International Penn, of course, knew about it. And it was uh, one thing that uh, I particularly, I was still writers in prison chair at the time. Um, I was very proud of our friends in America, uh, and they have always really guarded the the, right, the human rights and the right to freedom of expression in, in their own country, uh, which sometimes takes um, courage, but it also takes stamina, and that's what they had and they still have. Mm. Um, the information, of course, uh, is staying within pen circles and it, it doesn't make the international press hardly ever how, how where do you stand for example on whistleblowers um because 
Edward Snowden, uh, Chelsea Manning. These are individuals who really did bring to light the, I think, that the depths of institutions like uh, the Patriots Act, but also essentially all of these hidden government programs. Absolutely. Um, do you Absolutely. think these... Sh- do you think these should also be covered by freedom uh, They are of the being press? covered by PEN. They are okay. being covered by international PEN. And um, the thing is that each PEN center is autonomous. Those centers who do not would want to join into uh, in the um, fight for the whistleblowers don't have to. You know, it's not a um, do or don't. Or you, you know, you have to leave pen. No, they are absolutely free to do or not do. And it was quite a number of pen centers who joined in uh, calling for a release of uh, all of those who were in trouble. In and there were quite a number. Uh, we all know uh, during the last 10, 20 years, and they were all kind of our charges uh, and we fought for their freedom and for their right to do what they did um, in almost throughout Penn, of course, not in in some smaller Penn centers, but um, there was a there was a movement to free them. But of course, that again, it does not hit the press because uh, the, the press knows that Penn is vocal. Um, The press of the individual countries may make reference to the stance of Penn centers, but there is no international recognition of Penn as a whole. You see, it's, it's 150 Penn centers and the recognition is in their own country or not. Uh, by the press, depending on where the press stands. and um, But international pen as a whole only gets into the news when there are uh, humanitarian prizes, when there are actions um, during pen congresses, and the pen congresses uh, come once a year. Uh, and since then the business of international pen is so multifaceted because we always have something like 200 active cases of people we are standing up for that uh, it's very hard to pinpoint where there is news of what we're doing. And, but, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, but the, the support has always been there. And with regards to, uh, for example, Julian Assange, who I believe this week he's going to, um, or the High Court is going to listen to his case um, and will make a decision as to whether or not he will be sent to the US to face trial there on extradition charges. Um, Has Julian Assange ever been a character of interest for Pen or absolutely, absolutely, yes. Uh, I must uh, confess that during the last couple of weeks um, and even beyond, I have not followed the international website 
where these things are uh, discussed and um, brought to light what International Pen is doing, uh, where the efforts uh, are positive, where they uh, have a positive response and so on and so forth. Um, there I have to uh, beg my ignorance. I know that Assange and um, everyone who has been whistleblowing has become known, has been on the in the books of international pen and pen centers and has been uh, given the attention and the drive and the uh, protests that to the governments, to the to the embassies, to the to the press, the press sometimes doesn't pick it up. Um, but it's always there. The only thing is pen is um, a small unit. Uh, International Pen, as such, has ma maybe 15, 16, 17,000 members. Look at what the membership of Amnesty International is, in contrast. So um, we are being neglected by the press sometimes, or many, many, in many instances. But there's always the watchful eye on these cases and the protests go um, every every case we pick up the protests go uh, to the embassies to the international um, institutions uh, to the governments and uh, of course to the press and if the press picks it up we're happy if they don't we have nothing we can do about it would you say that you are particularly proud then um, of the fact that um, Maria Ressa and Dmitry Muratov received the Nobel Peace Prize for um, for their work to safeguarding freedom of expression this absolutely. year? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, the, uh, the freedom of expression um, for journalists, for writers, for all of us, is so important that any um, prize that calls attention to the fact that we need freedom of speech and freedom of expression uh, is is a godsend. Um, in Germany, the uh, Freedom Prize of the uh, Book Fair has just been given to Zizi Zambarenga whom I met 30 years ago for the first time. Um, I haven't met her more than twice, maybe, but I've followed what she has been doing and that again, there again, at least in Germany, her life and what she is trying to do has become a part of the, of, of the press, of the interest of the press and of uh, everybody around here. Um, I haven't followed whether there is some international acclaim for her or uh, notification that she has gotten this prize. But this, um, the prize of the uh, book fair has been given to Oran Pamuk. It has been given to Harold Pinter, I think. Okay. And uh, quite a number of other people who later got the uh, Nobel Prize for Literature, and that is a particular prize for 
people not for their literature, but for their involvement in freedom of the press. So I think that's a very important signal and it should be taken up internationally as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm completely with you um, on all of those uh, bases because it, and it's, it seems to be that there's like a bit of political pushback from um, these kinds of organizations simply highlighting the fact that we have descended so much into polarized and extremely volatile reporting that there is a need for people to be able to attach themselves to the established reporting, the responsible reporting, uh, and to try to reintroduce that uh, element of respect for these established reporters um, in, in the hope of protecting what they do. The way that things are going is just simply not, it's not conceivable that people would want to become journalists if this is how they're going to be treated. Exactly. Uh, journalist, journalism has become one of the most dangerous professions in the world. Um, the writers writing, even if they write against the government or against, or some people have been thrown into prison for one line in a poem, which the, the, the dictators didn't like. When Ken was founded, uh, they concentrated only on writers because they didn't have a voice outside uh, with the press and so on and so forth, not to the point that it, that was needed. And uh, the institutions um, like um, the Committee to Protect Journalists and so on and so forth, there are quite a number that have really developed in the last 30 years. So there are now a, quite a number of organizations that protect the right of journalists. Um, the problem is that the attacks against journalists are not necessarily coming from governments, but from um, criminal sources, look at Mexico, look at South, Southern um, America, South America, where you have uh, mafioso uh, gangs who uh, kill journalists and the governments do not protect them in sometimes and sometimes cannot protect them uh, to the point where they should be protected. And uh, so the world has changed. When it all started, it was a fight against governments who were silencing journalists and writers. Uh, today, it's um, in part only governments and official authorities. It's the, the crooks, it's the mafiosi, it's the, um, the drug cartels, the, the landowner cartels in Brazil and so on. So they're all in it, in this fight against journalism, because it's the journalists who call them to task. Well, well I mean, just on a, 
on a political note, um, today we're going to move around a little bit and perhaps a bit more quickly than normal because I, I don't want to, to keep you talking more than is uh, um, more than you feel comfortable doing. But um, why is it that opposition parties have lost that ability to oppose? You don't have uh, in politics, you don't have the black and white only anymore. You don't have um, the two sides only mm. in government. You do have not the big two big parties that fight each other, that one is uh, governing and the other one is in the opposition. You have a um, scattering of parties. Uh, and they pre that prevents that you have an opposition that's strong enough to go against what is going wrong. Because you have, um, if I look at, uh, at the German end of it, okay, you have now three parties that tried to get into the government together. And you have an opposition of, I don't know, there are so many small parties that join in in the cacophony of of uh, pros and cons that um, the you cannot call the two parties the two major parties that are in opposition the opposition the opposition is much much wider and that makes it very difficult. Well, I mean. Uh, the previous yeah, government, obviously, you had the AFD was the largest opposition party. And so yes. they were in charge of, uh, the, 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 I think, the finance committee for the Bundestag and so on. So now it, it would appear that the CDU would perhaps take over that role if the traffic light coalition does actually materialize. Um, but I mean, countries, Karin, like the UK, where you've got Labour, which is one of the traditional parties, um, they can't mount a particularly good opposition either and uh, yeah that's quite dispiriting isn't it it is it is it, it hurts um but then you have uh the interests the financial the economic the uh philosophical interests in england also split into many parts it's not just two parts it's not just labor and and uh the conservatives as it was with uh, just a minor role for the liberals. Mm. But you have uh, interest groups wherever you look and they assign themselves to some parties and then they withdraw and go to another one. Uh, you do have that in, in England as well. Look at the Brexit catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, this has been... Uh a bit of a concern of mine as well in the sense that there are a number of powerful political groups with similar ideologies and they attach themselves to as many parties uh, yes. as they can essentially afford because that way whoever is elected their interests are represented Absolutely. Um, and so the less parties there are the easier it is for them to dominate the political landscape or the economic landscape uh, depending on you know on what their agenda is but yeah. Okay. I mean, this is this does tie in a little bit with the overall argument that we want to kind of develop with regards to Trump as well, because um, Trumpism 
is based upon his his approach to politics. So his his populist uh, methodology to try to mobilize people who over the last 30 years or 40 years have considered themselves excluded from politics because um, it was the sort of um, the neoliberal domain that they were not allowed to pursue their slightly more right wing uh, opinions and ideologies. If, if that so, were the only reason why he uh, has such a power base, um, that could be uh, probably easily been taken care of. But he has a power base in the Republican Party. A number of Republicans have uh, voiced their concern about Trump and they got uh, trampled on by him and by his followers. So there's a, an, an atmosphere of fear in the uh, um, Republican Party. And then we have to remember the Republican Party as it changed after the Civil War, uh, was a party of people who didn't want any government, less government wherever, no dependency on Washington. Um, I remember when I was in, in Texas, I, it, it really bothered me because wherever I went, the Texans said we didn't want uh, a democracy when we uh, rebelled against the English king. We wanted a republic and we want a republic now. We don't want Washington. We make our own uh, laws and we abide by our own laws and we have our own people and we have our own um, basically uh, interests. And that is why Trump has been able to get the uh, bulk of the Republican Party in his grip, because um, he always says, said um, Washington is bad. We have to uh, get rid of it and we have to take over. And this takeover was the the culmination of this takeover was the 6th of January. That no. was not the Republican mm. Party, but it was those who were aggressive and had believed everything Trump had said and everything that Republicans had said as well, whereas the Republicans were caught inside the Capitol and were fearing for their lives. Um, their uh, leader was outside with with uh, the mob to storm the capital and get at them, and there was there was a a outcry. Um, we have to kill uh, him or her or Pelosi, and we have to uh, find uh, our vice president who has not disrupted the takeover of power or the giving over of power from Trump to uh, to Biden. That was the combination of we don't Washington. Mm. We are, we want to we we want we are the ones who say what is going to happen and our interests are 
not the interests of Washington and the politics and the politicians. So the, the, essentially this uh, pursuit of uh, decentralization and, and maximized within the, the federal republic that is the, the USA. I mean, we're, we've also seen elements of this in, in Texas uh, after Biden's takeover, when we look yes. at how Texas has approached the um, the right of women to have abortions. So exactly. um, they've gone That's completely... Why I... mm, sorry. No, this is why I mentioned my experience in Texas, where I saw this uh, 40 years ago. What what was happening? You know, what was what could have happened, or if they the the fear that if those elements would get uh, into power or were um, bundled into a movable force. And they were bundled into a movable force by Trump. And Trump used them, which I don't think they have realized so far. Some people in the Republican Party have uh, understood what is going on. But the fear that is ranging in the in the party is terrible. Well, I mean, he, he did receive the highest number of votes of any Republican presidential candidate in, in the history of the US. Um, so, I mean, th there is quite clearly uh, a huge Republican support for him and or yes. at least his beliefs. Um, the, the Republican Party that is operational right now is fully in the grip of Trump. They are afraid of him because his base is violent as they have seen at the Capitol, and they don't dare go against it. It would have to be a national movement of Republicans to counteract that. And there's no national movement because they don't believe in the national um, um, organizations. It's almost like the opposite of communism, isn't it? Where this yeah. sort of social yeah. revolution of the masses, and they, 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 uh, you know, they don't yeah. believe in it, it's a class struggle as opposed to a struggle of nations, as it were. Um, it's uh, exactly the opposite of uh, of uh, communism, and everybody who has any kind of social conscience or social program is immediately called a communist. Mm. Uh, we had this uh, when when Eisenhower um, became president. He he was called a communist. Senator McCarthy was this the uh, in, in the days of uh, McCarthy? That was in, 50, that was, 1950s. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. It it's uh, it, I was standing there with my friends and we were talking and they would we were listening to uh, the radio or to television and. Uh, when I first heard that uh, the uh, cry, uh, this is this is communism, uh, Eisenhower is a communist, I, I didn't know where I was. And you had the same thing with Obama. You had, he was called a communist uh, by some elements. He was, uh, everybody who had uh, FDR anyway, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, during the uh, Depression 
uh, because he really uh, brought social programs into life that uh, helped America to survive financially and economically. And of course, he was called a communist by those who didn't didn't want him, that kind of uh, practice or uh, that kind of government. And you still have this, and I'm distraught that it has um, muted so many people and that the uh, courage, I'm using again the example of the Republican Party, has dwindled. Mm. It I mean, really has dwindled. It's interesting in some ways because it also reminds me of the 1934 fascist coup attempt. So that when um, sort of powerful parties within the U.S. Uh, economy, as it were, they tried to bring an army of veterans to basically invade Washington. Right. Um, and it was only prevented by uh, General or Colonel, I think, Smedley Butler, um, because he went to the president with this. And um, and, and eventually they they were um, they well, they were prevented from amassing the army because Smedley Butler was supposed to lead them. And yeah. it seems to me that Trump tried to essentially um, succeed where those fascists in 1934 had failed. Mm hmm. Well, he used them. He used the fascists uh, that um, were still existent, of course, everywhere in the rural areas. They were existing in um, the middle belt, in in the center of of the United States. Um, there were uh, not just the the, those who were in, in, uh, influenced by German Nazism, but the um, the movement was basically everywhere to some degree, and uh, it never died, and it could be reformed uh, by somebody like Trump. I I can't see why, but he was. Um, to them was believable. Mm. I mean, do you think how much of this uh, was kind of prepared from the early days? You know, so this because he came up with terms like fake news, um, you know, alternative news, as it were, pretty early in his presidency. Do you think he was the whole time he was kind of setting up this siege mentality, dare I say it, Alamo mentality. It's us, we are fighting for our republic and the press are on the side of uh, Henderesimo Santana. Um, you know, was he trying to create this kind of uh, patriotic fervor, which would essentially lead him to a second term? And who knows, maybe even a change to the constitution and beyond. Well, there, there talks about uh, uh, another term in, in three years. Mm. And uh, even in the liberal press, they're using kind of the, the threat image of another four years of Trump. So there is a fear. He, he kind of spread the fear around, not just within 
the republic the republican party but within society that he might come back no he's he he is somebody who is insecure who knows he his his empire stands on on feet that that may crumble right away um so he needed some kind of power base because he is somebody who wants power he wants money and he wants power and through power you can get money which is what you saw in the first years of his presidency that uh, he and his family were uh, cutting deals with with the chinese with with the arabs with the saudis um for their own benefit so he used the power he had at the time and used that for economic advantage which is something that his followers don't see and don't believe and he to them he is the, the big man who was able to amass that amount of money and assets that he is pretending to have and he's pretending to have it well right now it's um because of the 6th of january um they're after him to uh show because he initiated it that he instigated it and right now he's trying very very hard to avoid having to uh come to the committee the the uh, congress committee and um discuss the 6th and his role in the 6th of january um he is not just uh claiming executive um privilege privilege but he's also uh claiming or he's he's uh, fighting in the courts against the release of the papers on the 6th of january so he's um saying i'm i have the right to not have these things released because i have uh executive privilege um and in his wake we have bannon who a day before the 6th of january on the 4th on the 5th um stood in front of the cameras and said you just be sure tomorrow there's something is going to happen which shows that he knew about it and he probably was one of the instigators along with trump of these riots and he's trying to get away uh and uh with with murder so to speak uh and uh not appear before the uh congress committee uh by also claiming priv- uh, executive privilege which is twice uh, as ludicrous because first of all trump was no longer the executive at the time and um bannon had not been uh, a member of the government um or an advisor to the government uh, a long time before that because he and trump had a f- had fallen out so you have uh first of all now the possibility of 
Bannon saying, I won't talk about it. And then he is in contempt of Congress and he can be thrown into prison right away. And if uh, the next step then, I think, is going to be an attempt to get uh, Trump to maneuver himself into contempt of of, uh, of Congress. I think that's behind some of the some of the goings on right now. Yeah, I mean, looking just a little bit at some of the events uh, surrounding the um, January six attack on the Capitol. I mean, lots of prominent politicians and people involved in uh, the sort of support groups for for Trump really coming out with um, insightful speech um, the kind of comments which are likely to rouse a mob. There's no other way of looking at it. Um, you know, speeches that include terms such as kicking ass or will you fight for America? I mean, I'll, I'm going to go into some of the um, events in chronological order in you know later on, but it really is worrying, isn't it? And and what I wanted, one of the questions I wanted to ask you um, was, doesn't this kind of make the people of, in the first instance, the US m- doubt the legitimacy of their own democracy if an elected official, the highest elected official, can essentially try to lead that kind of action? And what does that say to other democracies around the world who look to the US, if indeed these democracies still do that after what Trump did, um, who look to the US as their, the leading light of, of democratic power? Right. Um, this, doesn't this erode that? It, uh, what eroded in the first place or what uh, Trump tried to erode was the institutions the institutions of government. Um, the next step was to erode the laws of the American people. The third one was to erode the law of the Constitution. In that sense, he was double and triple, and triply uh, endangering democracy. Um, he didn't get to a second term of office, luckily. So one can say right now that the the uh, opposition to what Trump was trying to do is, was strong enough to ward him off. But um, he is still at it. He is uh, out of uh, German uh, radio and television, mostly. Um, he is out of much of uh, the American um, media. Uh, the CNN very rarely talks about him. Uh, Fox News has also changed in a way. Um, the He's out of Twitter and Facebook and so on and so forth. He's making his own network now. He's building it up, whether it brings what he wants. I don't know. I hope not. Um, The whole thing is 
is so dangerous. It endangers, as you said, the democracy in America more than it had been endangered in the last uh it was always in it always has been in danger to some degree um think of the uh the civil war that was endangering democracy already uh the constitution of america is on the surface democratic everybody has the same rights and then on the side is uh, everybody who is black does not have the same rights only three-fifths of of human beings so so to speak so even then it wasn't democratic and these things have been uh, given from one generation to the to the next and there is luckily a measure of America that is against the erosion of democracy, even if it means that they have to change the constitution and the laws to protect what they believe in, meaning equal rights for all. And so you, you have a div- really a divided country more than it ever was. Uh, it started uh, at the beginning. It uh, culminated in the Civil War. And it never quite gelled into one country because for a long time uh, the South cl- uh, was clinging to the old ways. We are the best, we are the whites. And the uh, northern or northwestern uh, cities were more liberal, and the fights between the conservatives and the liberals have been with America all the time. Yeah, I mean, you you touched on a lot of the um, you know, issues which I uh, I kind of wanted to cover as well, but I mean, I'm mindful also of us not going uh, too long. But I do really want to. Um, make a note of some of the the topics that you brought up because I'd like to talk about the the constitution uh, on another occasion, um, mm-hmm. perhaps from a comparative uh, perspective, looking at the you know the German system and the British system as well, and kind of comparing the three uh, three systems in, in in one go, as it were, if that's even possible to achieve within our time constraints. But um, just just a, a one more. A question, um, perhaps a, a silly one, but then again, you know, that's okay. Um, the Proud Boys essentially were the ones who uh, attacked the Capitol, or at least they were one of the main groups involved right. in the attack on the Capitol. Right. If they had been Black Lives Matter supporters or demonstrators, people have often commented that the police would have been there armed en masse and it would have been shoot first and ask questions later. Yes. My question is, if, however, there'd been women's rights or gender equality demonstrators, do you think they would have been allowed the freedom that these so-called Proud Boys were given? No. Or do you think that they'd be... Absolutely not. No? 
Okay. No, absolutely not. And I don't know what happened uh, to the state police and to the Washington police um, that uh, the state police only responded much, much too late. I, I didn't research what the uh, what the reasons are said to be right now at this point. I don't think that they have come to final conclusion yet, but um, it was a bodged defense of democracy there too. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to read through later on um, in the podcast um, at the end of when we wrap up our little chat, um, the chronology of events for the, the days coming up to January the 6th and also focusing quite a bit on the the events of January the 6th and times and perhaps those parts which were mostly influential for uh, for what occurred at the time. So maybe this will give a little bit of, uh, of background to right. you know, that which um, we're talking about. But um, OK, so you, you are essentially of the opinion that had there been any kind of liberal movement, they would have been faced with far greater, um, shall we say, firepower than what we actually saw? Um, I'm sure, because that was still in the wake of Trump. Um, if uh, it had happened two months later under another president, I think then, like uh, under Biden, uh, I think the um, there would have been a stronger force against the Proud Boys. It was it was the right time. It, for them, it was the right time to do it because that's the only time they would have gotten that far, I think. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I don't think that, uh, um, I mean, Washington is, is absolute, was absolutely against Trump. Um, the uh, New York was against Trump. All the police power of these two cities alone would have crushed the Proud Boys. And if you think how few they were, they were I mean, that was not a big movement. They had in the background, in, in the in the farm countries and, and in the in in the boondocks, they had supporters, but they didn't have supporters natural supporters who lived and worked in Washington or in that particular uh, context. Mm. Yeah, a friend of mine who's from Washington, he says that um, if you see a guy or at the time of the um, pandemic when it was in lockdown, um, if you saw a person wearing not wearing a mask, they were Republicans. So, I mean, this there was, yeah. it's quite clear, apparently, that you can sort of pick out the people who who are Republican and who are Democrat. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. OK, Karin, um, you, you are yeah more energetic than um, yeah, you allow yourself to be credited for. So um, it's like, I, you know, I have to sort of hit the brakes. Uh, otherwise, we could uh, we could go on analyzing this all day. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm pretty sure I can say safely that I was in need of your particular brand of political analysis. Um, it had been far too long. So I'm you know, extremely grateful. 
um, for your return um, and your presence and your um, yeah the the refreshing manner in which you analyze these uh, sometimes complex social and political events. Well, it's it is in many ways not a researched analysis. Uh, it's a personal analysis from what I experienced um, throughout my uh, stay in the States, which was 60-61, and from 66 through 77. And of course, uh, by having lived there, I um, kept my eye on what was going on in America and through my friends got a lot of information. Um, so in that sense, yes, I'm, I'm, I kept up with um, the developments in America. Um, and unfortunately, already during the Reagan years, uh, some of my friends called and said, you know, we want to emigrate, but where do we emigrate to? Mm. Because, uh, I mean, throughout the world, the Americans weren't the favorite the most favorite uh, immigrants in any country. Mm. And my friends knew that. I mean, they, they were absolutely uh, in tune with uh, democracy and with, with uh, what we think of as worth living for. Mm. Humanism, mm. Uh, freedom of speech. Uh, the right to life, which in some cases is also being eroded in the States. Mm. I mean, it's as funny, we, isn't it? It's yeah. funny because, as you say, um, I think perhaps Democrats travel a bit easier around the world um, in some cases now. So, I mean, whenever whenever I bump into somebody from the US, I, I kind of stick in a cheeky question you know which way mm -hmm. did you vote you know <laughs> uh, as in, i'm not i'm not going to be in any way judgmental of them but um i think generally speaking it's easier for democrats when they come abroad to say it that no, no no i didn't vote for trump i didn't vote for trump so mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's interesting. but this was this was already with reagan yeah yeah, yeah. you know this uh has also a tradition mm. yeah um, maybe we can go into um, some of these. Um, uh, how would you say, the mythology, as it were, of some past presidents? Because I've often heard it said that oh, this president, oh, this president was so bad, the worst president ever. And but you know, in comparison to that one or that one, and um, I, I think it's very easy to forget. Actually, if you go back to those times, that they, they weren't particularly popular either. So. Yep. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. I think maybe um, maybe we can look at um, a couple of the presidents while while you were in the states, um, and, and that would also make for um, enlightening uh, perspectives. Um, Karin, thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, and, and um, yeah. I'm looking forward uh, to hearing your uh, synopsis now. <laughs> oh, no pressure then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All the best to you, Karin. Speak to you soon. Thank you. In The Usual Suspects, it was said the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. There are in existence 
um, powerful organizations, of course there are, that try to bend political institutions to their will in an open capacity and in its most positive form, we could consider these to be NGOs that try to work charitably for the improvement of certain elements within societies, within certain countries and so on. Um, slightly perhaps lesser positively portrayed category would be lobby groups which naturally represent um, economic interests for their clients. They use perfectly legal means, I have to state, of trying to gain influence by supporting politicians, either financially or by providing them with networking facilities, perhaps even making them future promises with regards to career development once they have um, come out of politics. I don't know exactly what it is that they do because I'm not involved in these areas. So therefore, I could be completely wrong. However, from what I've read, this appears to be the case. There are, of course, other groups. We don't know about these uh, groups in any particular detail. Sometimes their power is extremely exaggerated. Um, this is where people tend to scream foul and say conspiracy theorist. There are a great many conspiracy theories out there. Some of them are absolute bollocks um, and some of them are pretty much on point. Um, the proof has to indicate the path. Um, there is also an element of trust involved. I think any belief structure does require a certain amount of being able to rely upon the individuals. So if a person that I know who is normally inclined to speak the truth says something to me, um, and another person who I'm not familiar with contradicts that, then I think it's natural to assume, right or wrong, that the person who I know and regard to be normally reliable um, is the person who I will follow or indeed uh, take as being closer to the truth. The reason for this extremely circuitous preamble is simply to say that countries are run by organizations that believe they know the best way forward. They also believe that the majority do not know the best way forward. This is why we have representative democracy and not why we have true democracy. There are also other reasons why perhaps this is the case, whether we look into the inability of society of making such vast decisions quickly, efficiently, with the necessary expertise and knowledge required. There are any number of reasons. However, we have to come back to the fact that representative democracy means that we choose people to represent us. Us. Our interests. What is good for the society that we make up, that we constitute? There are rules in many cases. This is called a constitution. You will know this. 
Now, I come from the UK where we have an uncodified constitution. Um, however, I'm currently living in a country which very much has a constitution, Germany. The, these constitutions are normally based on very sound humanitarian ideals. This is why a lot of politicians around the world talk about the glory of their constitution and they proudly speak about the principles that these constitutions represent and I'm not going to argue against those sentiments. I think it's quite clear to see in many cases that uh, constitutions are powerful documents which are correctly observed um, in in a bit of awe, shall we say, for for what they for what they uh, require of politicians within society. This particular topic today, however, is called into question on the basis of the January sixth attack on the Capitol in Washington, because essentially groups of members of society tried to circumnavigate the rules. They were spurred on by people who had sworn to respect and uphold the Constitution. Looking at um, a timeline of the events on Wikipedia, on September 29th, Trump stated, Proud boys, stand back and stand by. Stand by. I think it's important to focus on those two words. November 3rd was election day. Um, it took quite some time for the results to actually be conclusive. However, um, Biden clearly won. I'm pretty sure at some point Trump was adamant and convinced that there was no way he could have lost this election. If I'm to guess, and please bear in mind this is a pure guess, I would imagine Trump had been told the only way you will lose this election is if they cheat. And I think Judging by the ego that is Trump, this sat very comfortably on his shoulders. Let's not forget that within legal realms, I think almost just about, the Republican Party in many parts of the USA made it extremely difficult for certain members of society to vote. So they really steered the election towards their candidate. So I'm inclined to believe this was the basis for that statement. They made it so difficult for um, certain elements of society to vote Democrat, to participate in the democratic process, to find representation through that process, that they could not believe it would be possible for their candidate to lose. Because whether it's illegal or not, they fixed it. They tried to fix the result through these laws that they passed. And it wasn't enough. And so therefore, Trump, believing what he'd been told, came out with this line.
he pursued that line clearly lots of people support trump no republican presidential candidate has ever received as many votes as trump did last year in 2020 so there is clearly a lot of support for trump anyway on november november 9th um trump employs christopher miller as um, acting secretary of defense and he plays quite an important role um, in the events that took place on the 6th of january the cia director gina haspel apparently tells the chair of the joint chiefs milly that we are on the way to a right-wing coup That's a very interesting statement to make. Certain people thereafter make statements or send messages um, to others saying, I need you fighting fit by inauguration. A group called the Oath Keepers. Then, of course, the Proud Boys, the Three Percenters um, are all present in um Freedom Plaza on November 14th when um, 20 people are arrested um, two police officers are injured um, and then there's this huge uh, banner uh, which says Trump law and order which is laid atop Black Lives Matter Plaza and then moved close to the White House reading from Wikipedia so you know with these events taking place it's quite clear that there are deliberate attempts to contradict so on the one hand there is this effort to um, circumvent the constitution on the other hand you've got these groups saying trump is is the constitution law and order so that's what trump stands for then they are using these messages to say that the actual problems within society are those that support Black Lives Matter. Now, this is very important um, because when you look at other attempts at a coup or other attempts at committing a large crime, you need to have a scapegoat or to use a term which is more relevant in US politics, a patsy. Now, who plays the role of the patsy in this case? Where they attempted to make the patsy people who believe in the Black Lives Matter movement. And this is why also on January the 6th, there were attempts made by right-wing media and right-wing groups to say the people attacking the Capitol are not Trump supporters, but they're actually Black Lives Matter supporters. Absolute rubbish. Of course, however, this was the attempt that they were making um, in trying to push forward this agenda. Moving forward. On December 19th, um, Trump declares, or he announces the January 6th rally, um, and he says it's, it was statistically impossible to have lost the 2020 election. Big protest in D.C. on January 6th. Be there, 
will be wild. Okay? Will be wild. At a rally in Arizona, Ali Alexander apparently um, seems to uh, advocate violence against members of Congress, Republican members, who don't fight for Trump. Okay, so um, this seems to not necessarily be a direct threat. It's a reminder. It's a reminder to members of um, Congress, Republican members, you have to do your bit for your president. Even if it breaks with custom and precedent, you have to do your bit. And this is a reminder. It's a bit of a threat, maybe. Um, but it didn't necessarily suggest that there were plans in place to enact those threats. But obviously, history sort of turned out to be a bit different thereafter. There were a number of phone calls that took place. Um, and I'm hopeful that the uh, congressional investigation will look into those calls. Um, they will make whatever judgment that they feel is necessary. What's important to identify at this point is that the National Park Service granted permit to rally to the March for Trump at the Ellipse and to Women for America First with an attendance of about 5,000. Okay. Trump then uh, tweets a confirmation of these uh, rallies and then retweets a supporter um, who said, the cavalry is coming. Um, and then Trump wrote back saying, a great honor. Okay. 13 senators on the 2nd of January, including Ted Cruz, vowed to object to the election certification, which, if I recall correctly, has never really occurred. On the 3rd of January, Trump says that he will attend the Ellipse rally, um, and he orders Secretary of Defense Miller to do whatever was necessary to protect the demonstrators on January 6th. Do whatever is necessary. Okay. So, the National Park Service on January the 3rd issues a permit to rally to revival uh, for a January 5th rally in Freedom Plaza, um, stating there is no march associated with the event. Okay. There were individuals um, related to the Proud Boys who were arrested in the Washington area for certain public disorder offenses, for being in possession of uh, certain kinds of ammunition. Some people were, even had Molotov cocktails with them in their cars. These people were, some of these people at least, were um, arrested. Who knows what could have happened had they not been. The DC National Guard uh, commander, Major General Walker, received orders from the Secretary of the Army, Ryan McCarthy, saying that he would have to seek approval from McCarthy and Defense Secretary Miller before preparing a response to civil disturbance. 
So they previously had the authority to respond without seeking permission. This is quite important. So the National Guard of Washington, D.C. Um, was essentially hamstrung before the event by the authorities. So on Wednesday 6, in the morning, 1.13, uh, Stop the Steel organizer Alexander tweets first official day of the rebellion uh, a prominent member of the QAnon group at loss of a better word accused Mike Pence at the time VP of orchestrating a coup against Trump a coup against Trump um at 8.17, Trump tweets allegations of vote fraud again. States want to correct their votes, which they now know were based on irregularities and fraud, plus corrupt process never received legislative approval. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states, and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. This was 8.17 a.m., on the morning of January the 6th. This is all in line with this, um, the method of building up a siege mentality. This is what is being done. So the people within, in the support of Trump are the ones who are being um, uh, attacked from all sides, but also from people within their own party and this is what they're trying to say so you know when you have this level of um vitriol for for the process for the democratic process that brought trump to power it's very hard thereafter to turn back and claim any kind of uh, authority within that same system. Trump sought for many years after his um, election to undermine the process, to undermine the uh, authorities in, in Washington, um, to, to talk about the groups which he thought were responsible for weakening the USA. So he was essentially attacking liberal groups. He was essentially, obviously, attacking Democrats. He was attacking uh, Democrat leaders. He was spreading um, conspiracy theories about members um, of the opposition. And these things, he thought, would see him through to victory or to re-election. It was not enough. At 9.45, the uh, Federal Protective Service um, of a liaison officer informed the Capitol Police that they uh, permitted 30,000 protesters at the Ellipse and the Freedom Plaza permit was increased from 5,000 to 30,000 as well. And the protests outside the Sylvan Theatre was permitted for 15,000. 
So essentially, they had legally allowed 75,000 protesters in and around the, the capital on that day. At 10.50 a.m., I'm, I'm skipping through some of these. I'm, I'm not going into the absolute detail, but um, I mean, you know, this isn't exactly hard to come across online, so feel free to jump in and, uh, and look at the more detailed form um, of, of this, uh, the chronology of events of the day. At 10.50 a.m., Rudy Giuliani calls for trial by combat. Yeah. At 12 o'clock, Trump begins his one-hour speech repeating allegations that the elections were stolen, uh, being critical of uh, Pence, who he names repeatedly, um, accusing uh, fellow Republicans of not doing what was required of them to support him in his allegations. Um, and he made this statement that he would walk with the crowd to the Capitol, okay? even though um, straight after his speech, he runs back to the White House. Um, I'll leave that pause there, actually, so you can you can decide. Um, there's a briefing at the Federal Protective Service stating there are 300 Proud Boys at the Capitol. Um, um, a, a man in a tree near the ellipse is holding what looks like a rifle, and there are 25,000 people around the White House who are hiding bags in bushes. Uh, the email warns that the Proud Boys are threatening to shut down the downtown water system. Republican Paul Gozar tweets that Biden should concede and demands his concession by the next morning. Federal Protective Service officer writes in an email, POTUS is encouraging the protesters to march to Capitol grounds and continue protesting there. 1249, Capitol Police respond to a report of a possible explosive device at the Republican National Committee headquarters and apparently that is later identified as a pipe bomb. Then a uh, second pipe bomb is found at the headquarters of the Democratic National Committee um, and the buildings next to these HQs are evacuated. A uh, police sweep of the area finds a vehicle containing a handgun, an M4 carbine assault rifle with a loaded magazine and components for 11 Molotov cocktails and homemade napalm. At 12.53, rioters overwhelm police along the outer perimeter west of the Capitol building, pushing aside temporary fencing. Some protesters immediately follow, while others, at least initially, remain behind and admonish the others. Don't do it. You're breaking the law. Um, so clearly, there are different groups among Trump's supporters. So there are those who believe all of the stuff that he says, but who are unwilling themselves to break the law. Um, however, there were many, many others who didn't have um, any qualms about doing what they did on the day. At 12.58, Chief Sund asks House Sergeant-at-Arms Paul Irving and Senate Sergeant at Arms Michael Stenger to declare an emergency and call for deployment of National Guard. Uh, Irving and Stenger state they will forward the request up the chains of command. Soon afterwards, uh, congressional leaders arrive in Stenger's office and are outraged to learn that he has not yet called for any reinforcement. 
Um, phone records obtained at the Senate hearings reflect that Sun first reached out to Irving to request the National Guard at 12.58 p.m. on the day of the attack. Sun then called the Senate Sergeant Arms at the time, Michael Stenger, at 1.05 p.m., so seven minutes had passed. Sun repeated his request in a call at 1.28, half an hour later, and then again at 1.34, uh, 36 minutes later, 1.39, so 41 minutes later, and 1.45. At 1 p.m., Senators and uh, VP Pence walk into the House chamber. Uh, this is where Pence releases a letter stating that the Constitution prevents him from unilaterally interfering uh, with the uh, Electoral College vote count. Ten minutes after that, Trump ends his speech by encouraging the crowd to march to the Capitol. We're going to try and give them the kind of pride and boldness that they need to take back our country. Take back our country. The thing about a lot of these statements is that they can be interpreted in a number of ways. If you are a peaceful, law-abiding citizen, to take back our country means doing things in accordance to the law, in accordance to democratic custom, convincing people of the the sense and meaning of your arguments and using the democratic process as your tool if however you are angry violently inclined believe that you have been cheated believe that uh, somebody has uh, attempted to um, instigate a coup d'etat to remove your chosen leader and that person says to you go and make me proud essentially uh, do what the others do not have the courage to do that can be very easily interpreted as saying take it back by force so again interpretation in itself is a very problematic area. At 1.26, the US Capitol Police order evacuation of at least two buildings in the Capitol complex. At 1.30, Capitol Police are overwhelmed and forced to retreat up the steps of the Capitol. Large numbers of Trump supporters march from the ellipse um, down Pennsylvania Avenue toward the Capitol. At 1.34, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser requests via phone that Army Secretary McCarthy provide an unspecified number of additional forces at 1.34. 1.35, in Senate deliberations, Senate Majority Leader McConnell warns that refusing to certify the results of the presidential election under false pretenses would push American democracy into a death spiral. 1.49, Capitol Police Chief Sun requests immediate assistance from District of Columbia National Guard Commander Major General William Walker, who then loads guardsmen onto buses in anticipation of receiving permission from the Secretary of the Army to deploy. At 1.50, DC Met Police on scene. Uh, Incident Commander Robert Glover declares a riot.
one minute later, Trump supporter Alex Jones speaks from a bullhorn to the crowd on the west side, exhorting them to remain peaceful and to not fight the police. He directs them to the other side, where he claims they have a permit and a stage. Radio talk show host and former FEMA director Michael Brown tweets the basis claim that the people breaching capital security are likely Antifa, Black Lives Matter protesters or other insurgents disguised as Trump supporters. And he suggests the attack could be a psychological warfare operation. At 1.54, Todd Herman, guest hosting the Rush Limbo show, informs his large national radio audience of Brown's claim that the people breaching security are not Trump supporters. At 1.58, along the east side of the Capitol, smaller police presence retreats from a different mob, removing a barrier along the northeast corner of the building. At 2 p.m., the mob removes the last barrier protecting the east side of the Capitol. At 1.59, Chief Sund receives the first reports that rioters had reached the Capitol's doors and windows and were trying to break in. At 2.05, Kevin Greeson is declared dead after suffering a heart attack outdoors on the Capitol grounds. At 2.10, the mob west of the Capitol chased police up steps, breaching the final barricade and approach an entrance directly below the Senate chamber. At the same time, House Sergeant-at-Arms Irving calls Chief Sun with formal approval to request assistance from the National Guard. Ten past two. The original request from Sund came at 12.58. At 12, at 2.11, rioter Dominic, Dominic Petzola breaks a window on the northwest side of the capital with a plastic shield um, and a minute later the first rioter enters the capital through the broken window opening the door for others vp pence is removed from the senate chamber to a nearby office the senate is gaveled into recess rioters chase alone one minute later rioters chase a lone capital police officer up northwest stairs where there are doors to the senate chamber in both directions as police inside the chamber attempt to lock doors. If the mob had arrived a minute earlier, it would have been in sight of Vice President Pence as he was moved into an office about 100 feet from the landing. Officer Eugene Goodman leads the mob to back up in front of a set of Senate doors while senators inside attempt to evacuate. That is one brave officer. Thereafter, there are any number of um, declarations that are made. Trump tweets at 2.24, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. History will look back to judge the events of January the 6th. There are many, many other details. However, um, I only wanted to give some of the information in with regards to what happened in the preceding hours, um, because this is what naturally 
led to the event of the attack. What happened during the attack, what happened after the attack, um, this then moves to a criminal investigation. And so thereafter, it's not really um, possible to connect other people with those individual crimes unless there is proof to say go into this person's office and do this or destroy that and so on and but then we're moving into the realm of um, fiction and I don't want to do that um, there's just no reason for it so the earlier part of the day is, is what interested this particular episode this particular podcast and that's what we have alluded to um, the principles that we referred to earlier uh, in our podcast when we were speaking Karin and I these are the important bastions of any society where you wish to have respect you wish to have representation you wish to have participation you wish to have the rule of law you wish to have an understanding and respect for human rights and you wish to have equality and that equality has to be extended to all areas of society if you're only going to have one group, no matter how large or small, protected above others, then you don't have equality, then you don't have a rule of law, then you don't have representation. This is very important to understand. And unfortunately, it would appear that um, some politicians are trying to make a career out of teaching members of society that this is not the case so I would implore people should read a little bit more about democratic theory if they haven't already done so and those that have done so um, should read or um, consult their conscience too because you know what is best to to and um, like and